Welcome back to the Drive and Kick SB Nation NBA podcast. Many teams use the Drive and Kick as a staple of their offense. Drive. Kicks out. Drives. Kick out. It requires a team with effective dribblers. Quick crossover and a drive. Passers. What a pass. And shooters. Quick release. Three-pointer. That's good. I'm your host, Paul Flannery. Let's see how it's done. Welcome back to the Drive and Kick podcast. This is Paul Flannery, joined as always by John Gonzalez out in Los Angeles. Uh, busy, 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 busy time of the year. We, we missed the pod last week due to circumstances beyond our control, namely a, uh, a, a, a sick three-year-old who decided to get a fever on the day we were supposed to do it before I flew out to Chicago for the combine. So sorry about that. But we'll try to make it up for you this week with lots of fun stuff. Uh, Celtics, Cavs, the Kelly Olynyk game, uh, the combine, the Spurs and Kawhi, all this great stuff. But uh, let's bring in Gons. Gons, how are you today, buddy? Uh, excellent. I'm glad to hear that Kieran's doing better. I was away for a wedding. I had to come off the about like the last month and a half, I have been traveling to various cities for various basketball series. But I had to come off the road for a wedding, so I was returning from that wedding. Uh, sadly, unfortunately, during Game Seven, and when I got off the plane in LA last night, I looked at my Twitter updates, and there was a bunch of stuff about Kelly Olynyk not only playing well but winning the game for them. And I'm like, this can't be right. That's so like what time talking. zone have I landed in? What, what, what the hell happened? I felt like I, I went through some. Uh, I, I tore the time space continuum on my flight back. Real quick before we get into that, thanks to everybody for listening to us. Leave us a review. Please subscribe. We appreciate uh, all of those things. But Flynn, tell you were at that game. Yeah. What What the hell happened? Kelly Olynyk savior. So this is the thing about Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> He's that good. He has skill. He's a seven footer with 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 legitimate range out to at the twenty three feet. He's not the greatest athlete in the world, but he plays pretty good positional defense. And you know he can put the ball on the floor and go to the basket. His biggest problem, you can see the gears turning in his brain. And by the time he figures out what he wants to do, it's already a split second too late, and he's got to pass off or whatever. When he plays free and uneasy, he's capable of doing this. If you watch the Celtics every night, you'll see he'll have a run like usually in like early January. Well, he'll he'll score like. 25, 23, 17, 31, you know, in like a four game stretch. Like Kelly Olenek has finally figured it out. And the next game he goes for four. Uh, that's the point. That's the inconsistency the point. for Kelly Olenek has been, uh, you know, maddening from afar, probably much more maddening up close and personal in Boston and for Boston Celtics fans because there are stretches where you, you're right. You look at Kelly Olenek and you go, that guy's got, yeah, he can step, step out and hit a three and he can be sort of a nudge defensively against certain guys, you know, and get, get under guys' skin. And, and that's not, not valuable. Uh, but him being able to do it consistently has always been his thing. But I guess consistency right now is less important than him just coming through with a game when they needed it. Right. They needed that game. And, you know, you know, it's funny. The other thing that's funny about Olenek is he has now become like a fan favorite. And, you know, the natural reaction is like, oh, right. White boy in Boston. He's a fan favorite. No, 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 no. <laughs> if you are in the garden during a regular season, we call them O'Kelly moments. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, Kelly, you know, right. <laughs> and right. and the fans and the fans were there every night. And there's a, a lot of them who are there every single night. You know, they're like, oh. You know, they get exasperated, they roll their eyes because he's so inconsistent. So when Ubre shoved him, and of course he fell over. <laughs> right. But when Ubre shoved him and people started calling him dirty, then the people here were like, 
nah, 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 you can't, you can't do that. That's our dude. That's our punching bag. That's our, uh, you right. know, that's our Kelly. And then all of a sudden he became a bit of a fan favorite, but he still had to produce. And then we start producing. And it was like, all right, all right. Now he's our guy. So all of a sudden he's like a, he's become a cult hero. And f- for four years, he's just been like a completely exasperating presence. This is, this was Kelly Olynyk's introduction to Boston, by the way, his rookie year. Uh, Kevin Garnett's now on, on the Brooklyn Nets. They're in Boston. It's early in the season. Maybe even been the first game. And they get into a little jawing match. And the, you know what the Garden crowd did? They started chanting, KG, KG, KG. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're nostalgic. And right. Olenek must have been like, what? What is what happening here? So, yeah, the whole the whole Kelly Olenek saga is kind of hilarious to me. That is that is uh, a very Boston response, the love-hate relationship. Uh, we get to love you or hate you, and nobody get, nobody outside can do it. Oh, no, exactly. Uh, but, hey, he, he played well, and they won, and they advanced. And... Now we're set up for what we thought we were barreling towards anyway. Uh, although I'm not so sure about it being like, you know, because these last two series for the Celtics were, were a little weird. Um, the first one against the Bulls, obviously, for different reasons than this past one against the Wizards. I, I'm not so sure that this is going to be much of a series. Cleveland uh, took three of four during the regular season, including that one where Everybody went, oh, right, yeah, Cleveland can just turn it on against the Celtics, and Celtics fans got um, really worried about it. What, what, like, matchup-wise, I know that you're just coming off of last night, and you're at the Garden, and like, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what time zone you're in right now. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I wonder about, I mean, like, Cleveland gave them the number one seed, which I thought was like the biggest indictment of the Celtics ever. I know. I know. Yeah, I was at that game. I, well, I was at two games this year against the Cavs. The first one was one in early March where the Celtics played out of their mind. And right. it was a great game. I think it went overtime. And, you know, some of the iconic moments from that were like Avery Bradley D'ing up Kyrie Irving, you know, within an inch of his life. And and then that that is how they have to win, right? Somehow or another, they got to do that four times. I think they can do it once. I don't know that they can do it four times. They might even be able to do it twice. There is a path to competing with this team for the Celtics, and it involves, like, not only Isaiah and Horford have to be great four times right. at least, but all these other guys we're talking about, Linick and Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley's got a lot on his shoulders in this series because he's got to guard Kyrie, and he's got to make him work a little bit on the defensive end. But, the you know, when the Cavs go small, the Celtics actually have a pretty viable small lineup they can counter with. There is a path here. I just don't know that they can do it four times. And, you know, frankly, the other, the other part of here is that that will absolutely kill them as it's killed other teams against Cleveland before is they get they get destroyed on the offensive boards. Destroyed. And, it, and it's interesting that you just brought that up because I was looking at their numbers from when they played uh, during the regular season. And a shocking development total rebound-wise went um, to Boston, which I thought was kind of Really? That's kind interesting. Of surprising. Yeah, and and they ended up beating them on the offensive boards too in the four games. Which I'm with you though. Like I, initially, as you were talking, I was like, oh, I got to check out the rebounds because Cleveland is such a better rebounding team, and especially in the playoffs. And as we all know, Boston has not been a great rebounding team this year. And uh, they've gotten better. They've gotten better, but it's still been a, a, a problem for them. I wonder though how much of that uh, disparity during the regular season is just you know regular season basketball relative to how they all play 
you know, they change up their game and, and their approach in the playoffs. I think there's a lot of that. And I mean, I, so I can remember vividly that the game that they did win, they actually, when they, when they played at their best, they held them in check on the boards, but other times when they got away from them, they got killed. Right. So it's like, right. it's an, it's a, it's an inconsistency thing. And also like if you're shooting, I, I don't know what the shooting numbers were, but if you're shooting like 55% from the floor, there aren't a lot of rebounds to be had either. Right. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit element of that, but yeah, I think the rebounding is super, super important. And you know, they have to win matchups because they're going to lose LeBron. Like right. no matter, no matter how you slice it, you know? Um, and it's, it's going to be really, really hard. I, I'm curious what you think about this. having watched that seven game series against the wizards, which, you know, could have gone either way, quite honestly. And if not for home court, very easily could have gone the wizards way. Um, do you think there's much separating the Celtics from these other two teams, Toronto? Obviously, Toronto got wiped out, but still, Toronto and Washington, do you think they have put themselves like squarely ahead of those teams, or are they just like they're just fortunate benefactors to to get this far? I think that they're, yeah, like by whatever factor, a factor above those teams. I want to clarify real quick. I actually had those pages reversed. <laughs> and a surprising development. Boston did not be, beat them on Great the Great segment. I was looking at those two. Their two I have their two pages. I have the basketball reference pages up side by side, and I had them reversed. So yes, as as predicted, the Cavaliers <laughs> beat them on the boards. But so this isn't. So this is what we we expected it to be, right? Like it's going to be. That's going to be a problem for them. I mean, it's been a problem for them all season long. I I still think I like Boston. I I like I like them more than the teams that you just mentioned. And yes, the home court advantage played a significant factor against. Um, the Wizards, but I look at their team and I like they're a deep team. They've got useful pieces. They've got guys. I'm talking about the Celtics now. They've got guys who, while inconsistent, like Kelly Olynyk, um, or you know, you have a Jay Crowder who, you know, he'll have he'll have a stretch where he can't hit a three, and then all of a sudden he's bombing threes, and he, you know, he thinks he's a three point shooter again. I like I like their depth. It's just, can you get enough of those ancillary pieces around Isaiah to do? enough against the Cavs, you know, in a seven game series. That's a that's a major factor because you know what you're getting from the Cavs. You know they're gonna be good on the boards. You know LeBron's gonna be an absolute monster and then you're gonna get a ton of scoring from Kyrie and Love. Right. And Kyle Corver and Channing like yeah. I mean that when when I was in Toronto for that Raptors series, that was what was I mean Toronto had to work so hard to get like a three point lead and then Corver come in the game and knock down three threes and they're down by ten. You know, and Toronto right. can't Toronto's not a three-point shooting team the way the Celtics are a three-point shooting team. The Celtics do their do their work in bulk, right? They're just going to fire away and fire away and fire away. And so, yeah, then it just becomes like, can those guys make shots? And I mean, and think about this. Think about some of the players who are contributing here. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown last night was like, uh, you know, a year ago, I was in, or two years ago, I was in high school, and now I'm in the conference finals. <laughs> and like yeah. Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier was awesome against the Wizards. Um, and but there were parts too, like during the season. I just want to stop you on Jalen Brown. Like yeah. you had Jalen Brown, who during parts of the season where you and I were like, "Oh man, this kid's pretty good. He like he could do some stuff." And then you got into the playoffs, and all of a sudden, you know, he's sitting on the bench for a lot of it because, you know, like how him. much can you trust him exactly? Yeah, and so I think I think in that in particular is a credit to the kid for hanging in there mentally. And, you know, it's also a credit to the coaches for, for keeping him ready and, and whatever. Maybe they should have been playing him earlier. I don't know. Maybe they should have let him play through it a little bit. Um, but, you mentioned Rogier. You love yeah. him. 
he's really fascinating. I think he's probably going to be the odd man out here. I mean, they got so many guards. And if they, hey, if they win the lottery, as we record this on a Tuesday afternoon, if they win the lottery on Tuesday night, they might get another guard. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, Rozier is interesting because he doesn't play very many minutes, but he is, by percentage-wise, one of the best defensive rebounding guards in the league. And they need that. Avery Bradley is as well. He's, he's another one. But they need that. And then there was a play or two in that series. But the Celtics were definitely afraid of John Wall's speed. Like, that was the thing that kept them up nights. Because there's, there's no counter for it, right? right? Like, Rozier actually stood him up, like, once or twice in, in the open court. And people were like, whoa. You know? Like, nobody nobody does that. Now, he couldn't do it every time. So this is the part, though, that, like, gives me pause about Boston. Because I want this to be a fun series. This is a series that... Um, we thought we were going to get now, now it's here and I don't want it to just be over in a second. And you mentioned, okay, there is a path here for the Celtics, but as we outlined, like the glass is not a good, like that's not a good matchup for them. They're getting, they're going to have problems there. And then they're going to have to score with LeBron, you know, like you're going to have to keep up scoring with LeBron and all those shooters that he has around him. And that's where I go, ah, uh, like the glass is one problem. That's an even bigger problem. Like you need Avery Bradley to have those Avery Bradley games pretty much the whole series. You need Jay Crowder to be knocking down three-pointers. Kelly Olynyk's got to be a thing. And then, you know, you've got to get your requisite dose of Isaiah. And even then, do you have enough score? Right, and Horf- Horford has been... Horford, too. Horford too. Ever since those first two games against the Bulls where he was really bad, and he said, oh, you know, I let the game come to me, and he got killed for that. Um, you know, your max center saying he lets the game come to you. Like, no, dude, he's been awesome. And they've involved him in a lot more stuff, and he's really, he's almost like a secondary, even a primary point guard out there. So he's been really, really good. Where's the, the pendulum on him in Boston, by the way? Oh, yeah, no, everybody's all in now. They're back on it. <laughs> yeah, because – and you know what? It's – all right, so you're going to have your contrarians like you always have. You know, we, sure. we, we lead the nation in contrarianism. But, um, you know, look, they they did what they were supposed to do, right? They didn't embarrass themselves in the first round. They won a playoff series. Great. Yay. Pat them on the back. Way to go, guys. Right. They they won a seven-game grinder against the, against the Wizards with some spectacular performances thrown, thrown in for effect. It wasn't like, you know, the Wizards handed it to him. Like, they went out and won it. So now it's house money time. I mean, there will always be somebody who's like, you're the top seed. You should win the series. Like, nobody really believes that. So I, to me, they're playing with house money. I mean, the only thing that would really, really, really hurt them is what would happen to Toronto is if they get swept and get blown out, like, every night. And that shouldn't happen with home court. It really shouldn't. Here, I, I want to make one point about the home court. Please. And this is this is something that takes on a life of its own within Cleveland. You know, LeBron has won, I forget how many series it's been, but something like 28 or 29 straight playoff series with a road victory, which is some kind of record because who, who would keep track of that? But right. he always wins a game on the road. Always. So now you got to so, so now you got to figure you got to beat them in, at their place, too. So this is this brings me back to my original point about um at the end of the season with the Cavaliers where they were just like, we could go for the number one seed, but instead LeBron's going to rest and Kyrie's going to have some rest and love's going to have some rest and you can have it. You, we're going to like, you're going to get this by default, which is exactly what happened. And you just mentioned that, you know, LeBron is a beast and you're probably still going to have to beat them at their place. So I wonder psycho- like if there's any psychological impact to them, to the Cavs. Like when LeBron flat out says, I don't care about the number one seed, you can have it. Like 
there's there's a component as a competitor in the NBA, right, where you have to be like, what the hell, man? <laughs> right. Like that's such an insult. And I know, seriously. And if you go back and look at their history, um, LeBron's history, like, and I'm pulling this off the top of my head, so I may get some of this wrong. But uh, 2011, I believe the Bulls had the top seed. 2012, I believe the Bulls had the top seed. Um, and then the Heat may the Heat kicked it into gear there a couple of times. But I think the Pacers may have had the top seed one year. The Hawks had the top seed. The Raptors did not. But you know now the Celtics. So like you know the, he's on this what six or seven year run of making the finals. And more often than not, they have not had the top seed and had to start a conference finals on the road. Hasn't bothered them one bit. Yeah, it's demoralizing. It's demoralizing yeah. when you got to work that hard and they're like eh, whatever. That's what I'm saying. Like, as so, if you're if you're the Celtics, right? And it's been a good, like, by all by all measures. I, I think you know the point that you mentioned, where you said, uh, as long as they don't get blown out, this ends up being a success for them, right? I mean, they, yeah. they can't have a blowout, and and I think that that's absolutely absolutely right. However, you're in the conference finals. It's been a good year. You ha- you're the number one seed. You have home court advantage, and that little bit of shade that's not even subtle. That's overt. That is in your face. Where you have not only are you tasked with beating the best player in the world, but the best player in the world cares not at all for your home court thing. Right. <laughs> and gave it. In fact, gave it to you. In fact, gave it to you. And if there's you a lead, if there's one thing I know about Isaiah Thomas and the rest of the Celtics is that slights don't bother them in this in at all. They don't worry about that kind of thing even a little bit. My God, Isaiah was like last night. He was rolling. He was like, nobody thought we could do this. Nobody thought right. we could do that. And like kind of roll your eyes after a little while but like there is a point that and i made this point at the end of my piece today from game seven which is you know he's kind of right nobody really did believe in this team because it this the celtics because this team was always a transition to something better right it was like okay great whatever you guys do is 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 fine you know and then and then the real grown-ups will go to work when we get some free agents in here or make some big trades or whatever you know so like from that standpoint i think he was absolutely right and that does bother them a little bit so from their perspective they're like man bring it like you know they're too dumb to know and i mean this in a nice way they're too dumb to know that they're not supposed to win yeah which is they're great. naive on that right like they haven't gone through it and and to there's a reason for that though right what was it 4 years ago where they were basically the sixers and now all of a sudden, no, and then the Sixers are still the Sixers. And, fascinating, and, fascinating podcast to have sometime is to is to compare and take it step by step through the Sixers rebuild and the Celtics rebuild because they started at basically the same time and went in completely yes. different directions. Yes, well, the Sixers. I mean, so obviously the Celtics had poor Billy King. I mean, they had Billy King and to help them out, uh, the Celtics did on that front. But the Sixers had the chance to go and get Isaiah Thomas in that deal and instead of getting Isaiah Thomas ended up with the Lakers pick which may or may not convey this evening as we as we record this but that is a principal fork in the road for those two right because we were talking about if they're starting in roughly the same spots in their rebuild that is a major divergence right all of a sudden in the age when we can keep rebuilding, but also, hey, he's a really good piece, and maybe we can win too while we're doing it. Danny's Danny's thing, and Danny told me this, and people people have this tendency to not believe what he says, which I find interesting because generally he's pretty right on the money with what he's what he what he what he wants to tell you anyway. But you know, his thing was that rebuilding sucks, and the less you do it, the better. Right, so you got to take that one year. You got to take the plunge that one year, and maybe you get lucky in the lottery. And you just kind of that—that's when you pare down and tear down. And nobody knew they were going to turn into a team that, after they made all those trades, that went from like sixteen and thirty to an eighth seed in the playoffs. Right? That was actually probably a miscalculation on their part. But Danny's thing was never to be bad for four years. 
his thing was to be bad quickly, get it over with, build up your asset base, and then and then go play. And so, you know, that's an interesting perspective. And, you know, until they win a championship, it's not validated in our world. But I think it's been pretty much validated to this point. I And you and I on a previous podcast have talked about this. And, you, you know, you had said that Danny still takes heat in Boston for various things because it's Boston <laughs> and that's fine. But that is amazing to me because I look at him as, a, as like, you know, if he's not the preeminent general manager in the NBA, he's definitely in my top three. And and not just for, you know, fleecing poor Billy. But Billy, if you're listening, buddy, shout out. You're a nice, super nice guy. Uh, you definitely gave Danny an assist on that one. But not just for that. That obviously was a boon. But more for, like, finding these diamonds. Like, going out and getting Jay Crowder, right? right? Who was just, like, a guy who was, you know, pushed aside. He's... I love Jay Crowder. That contract, I've said this a thousand times on this pod, that might be the best contract in the NBA right now aside from um, – Maybe Avery Bradley's or from, Isaiah Thomas's or <laughs> – Jokic. Uh, Jokic. Jokic. Sure. Yeah, but rookie deals don't count. But yeah, the uh, – but the um, – Identifying Isaiah Thomas uh, yeah. when Isaiah Thomas was sort of booting around the league, kicking around the league, going out and getting Marcus – just making a good pick with Marcus Smart. Right. These are These are really – they might not seem like massive moves, but they are. A good pick with Jalen Brown, as it turns yes, out. He yes. got killed for that last year at the draft. All the draft experts, of which there are like four um, legit draft experts, you know, were killing him for right. that pick because they didn't see it. And, you know, Jalen Brown may never may never be anything more than just a really good player. But, you know, still, like, you got to hit on those things because otherwise you end up like the Wizards where you have to go out and pay a premium for – you know somebody right. else's veteran, and then your bench is trash, and and you, and your cap is busted. Um, yeah, man. So it, it, I, the Celtics are fascinating to sort of pick apart and dissect, and all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I'm with you. I haven't picked a number on this. Whether uh, I'm definitely picking the Cavs to win, but I haven't picked sure. a number in terms of games yet. What? Do, what? Do you, how are you leaning? I, I don't. I... You know, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I also don't think it goes the distance. I, I mean, if they if they took if they took two games out of this, wouldn't that be a success in a way? I think so. I think so. You know, and, and I think it's probably closer to five, to be honest with you. But yeah, six would be nice for them. I, I'm leading six, and maybe that's a little bit of professional bias creeping in here. I don't know, but um, I think the home court makes me lean towards six. But like, here's the thing: I you know, I think they really need to get game one. Because the Cavs have been off for like 12 days at this point. And, you know, there's always a little bit of rust when you get started. And they're they're on a high from having won this series. They're locked in. They're playing well. The crowd's going to be great. Um, you know, that was an awesome Game 7 crowd, by the way. Like, I've, yeah. I, I've seen – this is my 10th Game 7. And most of them have been at the Garden. There have been a few exceptions. That was an awesome Game 7 crowd. Awesome. You had the opposite game seven uh, that I had in the first round where the Clippers were like, we're going to go home now. Yeah, like, <laughs> that happens. That happens a lot in game sevens. It's they, they, we could go golfing. It's really nice in California. Um, before we move on, because we want to talk real quick about uh, the Spurs and Kawhi and also you were at the Combine, and I want to pick your brain about that. Um, ballpark a percentage chance. What, what percentage chance do you have of the Celtics pulling an upset here? Which would, I think, be a massive upset. Ooh, yeah, I'm not great at this game. Um, like one in five? Yeah, 20%? sure. Yeah, maybe 25, sure. Sure, something like that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like I can see the path, right? Like right. those guys got to play. And then look, you know, somebody sticks a foot out and somebody rolls an ankle and then everything changes. 
you have mentioned this before. This is one of your playoff theories. It's not a theory. <laughs> it's fact. Wonder, one of wonderful transition, Paul Flanner. You should be a professional podcast host. Uh, how do you feel about the whole Zaza Kawhi thing, man? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I watched that a lot. I watched it for a while because I'm like, okay, at first glance, I thought, what was Zaza doing? The more I watch it, the more I think it was accidental. And Kawhi said that too. I'm sure it was accidental, but it's also so we've we've entered this very strange phase in basketball, which is we now have an unwritten rule book that is starting to rival MLBs, right? <laughs> it's like, wait, that's dirty. Is that wait? I didn't know that was dirty. Is that dirty? I, right. Oh, is that and like everybody's you know everybody's nobody's nobody's player is dirty. Everybody else's player is dirty, right? Always. Their player just plays hard. Um, but I think what you have now, you know, as the game has evolved and changed, you've got different basketball plays that used to have. Like a dirty play used to be a guy going in for a layup and some dude throwing him into the third row and cutting out his knees, right? Sure. That's dirty, but that used to happen a lot. Sure, hard um, foul in the playoffs. Right, sure. and a hard foul being, you know, like seriously hard. Um, what's changed now is with the emphasis on the perimeter and and you, you have to close out. You have to close out hard on these guys. Um, the foot, but the angle, the, the yes. angle matters there. Yes. The angle matters there. And that's where we get into this yes. weird nebulous gray area about what's dirty and what's not, because generally you'll see guys take a run when you're trying to close out, like sort of off their body instead of directly into their body. And Zaza was in that particular play was in a spot where one, he's not a perimeter defender Two, He was already pretty close to Kawhi when the shot went up. And three, he's like kind of like a lumbering, bumbling dude. Like you're actually expecting him to stop, and like that's this is all like there are a lot of mitigating factors here when determining whether or not that play was dirty. Right, and that's the Celtics rationale with the Linux is that he's just kind of a, he's kind of an uncoordinated goofball, which is like okay, you know. <laughs> with so a it's like fun and a scruff beard, right? Yeah. I know, um, but yeah. So I mean, uh, and to hear Pop go off on it was fascinating and interesting because i thought so too he really made a big and of course the internet remains undefeated forever within five seconds found pop you know um defending bruce bowen who is the master of that move right? right um and so it's like wow what a hypocrite well i guess um i thought it was interesting that he went all in on that one frankly and it i'm still not quite sure i've processed why he did that other than you know i mean it's you know, there, there's obvious reasons, but like, why do you think? Um, I think he was probably frustrated to a point. Um, I think, you know, defending your guy, he's, I find pop a very interesting, and here we should pause to just discuss pop as pop, the sounding <laughs> board, because I find it interesting, like when he chooses to pick a spot, right? Mm -hmm. Because when he, when he, when he wants to engage on a topic, he is fascinating. He's hyper-articulate, incredibly bright. Whether it's Kawhi or the president, the guy is amazing when he wants to engage. But then there are moments where, and uh, again, many of them are in-game, and this has been well-documented, where he chooses not to engage, and I think that like those circumstances are different. But when he's not, forget it, let's take out like the sideline in-game interviews, because I think those are a different Yeah, that's animal. a special case. Right. Is there a... Like, is there a coach that you've covered or that you can think of that you'd rather have a conversation with than Greg Popovich when he's really engaged and he's into the questions and that like, like the guy is fascinating. I think, I think, you know, uh, Steve Kerr is one, um, sure, because sure. he comes oh, at yeah. it from a completely different perspective, which is Kerr is interested in your perspective. 
if you're talking to Pop, you're getting his perspective. He's not going to ask you what you think about something, right? Um, now, maybe if he knows you, he does that. But in terms of an interview setting, um, you know, Stan Van Gundy uh, can be an engaging conversationalist. Yeah, there are a lot of NBA coaches that are great to talk to. We are so lucky and so fortunate. Yeah. Even like real quick side, like Scott Brooks came in last night and was just really good in defeat. Not like pop awesome, like making, you know, making her, making it into a gif or anything like that. But like he was just really good. And I was like, you know, Scott Brooks, we all think he's like this boring guy. You know, good. Like in the NFL, they'd be like, God, Scott Brooks is the best. Um, but yeah, so with Pop, and like if you ask Jeff McDonald, who covers the team for the San Antonio Express News, he is well versed in popology. And, you know, one of the things is like he hates engaging after a win, he won't do it. Sure. And he will expound after a loss. It's almost like he can sense the room is nervous. And he will like kind of guide you through. I actually got, I got popped after a win during a finals. And you did. I did. Oh, how'd that go? I mean, it sucked, but it was also like, you know, like you're in a, you're in the interview room with like, you know, 800 other sure. sweaty people in Miami. And, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're jowl to jowl with people and like, whatever. It's like you move on. But can um, I just pause real quick? The, your description of the media there was wonderful. Sweaty yeah. and jowl. Jowly. You didn't even have to say Miami. It could have been anywhere. But I'll tell you this after game seven that they lost against the Heat, I went in there first. And nobody else was in there. And as a courtesy to my San Antonio uh, colleagues, I was like, I got to ask him something because if nobody asks him anything, he's just going to get up and leave, right? Right. And they need something. Right. So I just took a deep breath and I said, okay. I said, look, I know this is you know frustrating and, and got to be like incredibly disappointing, but like, is there a part of you that can appreciate the series that just was played? Because we we're already talking about maybe this was one of the great series of all times. Right. And he gave a fantastic, eloquent answer. That lasted like two minutes, long enough for like uh, the the San Antonio guys to come scrambling in, and it was like that. That to me is the essence of pop. When they had blown out Miami and taken a three one lead in command of the series, he wasn't giving us anything. In the worst moment of defeat, he was incredibly gracious. Yeah, and so this is the complexity of the man, and you know, to bring it full circle uh, back to the Kawhi part, like part of me wonders you know, where that answer came from, whether it was, like you said, it sometimes in frustration and defeat, that's when we get the most pop, right? That's when he goes off. And so I wonder if part of it was uh, the frustration and defeat being acting as a catalyst, or if there was some sort of gamesmanship there where, you know, you want to make Zaza or the Warriors think twice next time. I mean, I don't know. It could have been anything. But I do know that this is bad news for the Spurs. I mean, we're, right. we're recording this after game one, before game two. And, I mean, we've had this conversation previously on our wonderful Drive and Kick podcast. I still haven't figured out the answer of who the second best Spur is. And I don't yeah. know that they know either. It changes on a nightly basis. It changes yeah. on a quarter-by-quarter basis. Um, yeah, my, the last thing on Pop, my general sense is that all of, all of his media stuff is performance art on one on one level or another. Um, and you can actually tell when he's going to get serious, like when he talks about a serious issue, his voice lowers an octave and it's more conversational. So I generally, I generally think that even when he's like, he's never really unhinged, but when he's like, you know, when he's popping somebody, it's all performance art. Um, so yeah, I don't know how they, you know, I don't know how they win the series without Kawhi. Certainly. Um, they really needed to win that first game. I don't know how much of it yeah. you saw. I saw the first three quarters and, and was like, well, this is going to get tight, but, you know, whatever. So, yeah, bad I loss. mean, having having that lead and then losing the game and then on top of that losing Kawhi, like I can't imagine a bigger blow for them. 
psychologically and also in terms of trying to win a series. If you're going to try to win a series and you have that game in pocket, yeah, and then not only do you lose that game, but you lose your best player by a million miles, like the fallout from that is considerable. The ripple effects are considerable. I, I don't know how they recover from that. I don't think that they will recover from it. I thought it was going to be a really tough road for them, period. And now I just, I can't imagine. This thing could get could get real ugly real fast. It, it could, it could, but this is still the same team that, that knocked sure, out the Rockets sure. without Kawhi. Can we just pause sure. for a second? What the hell was that? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Uh, Everyone's MVP Rockets. choice has been completely tarnished, by the way. <laughs> At some point during the playoffs, except for LeBron. I can't wait till that award till that awards show. They're yeah. going to have that award show this year and announce the MVP and all the other awards. When is that? Is it, in, is it July or June? No, it's in late June, I think. Actually, you know what? Interesting. The NBA has decided to announce the all-NBA teams later this week, which yes. is really smart and proactive on their part because uh, there are a lot of people who are really not happy about this because like, there are serious things that have to be discussed. Sure. Yeah, well, there are, there's money ripple effects for contracts yeah. and all kinds of things. So, um, But yeah, no, I think that that... that <laughs> that award ceremony is going to be hilarious when everybody's like, "Oh yeah, what the hell?" It's going to be what so great. Thinking? It's going to be um, so great. All right, so let's talk. Yeah, let's wrap it up here with uh, a little combine talk. Oh yeah, you were, combine. You were in Chicago. Uh-huh. I actually really like the combine, not because it's particularly useful in terms of um, access to players or information. There's a lot of standing and measuring and guys yeah. who are like the the, the basketball games. Uh, so when I was like I said, I was away for a wedding. I was out of the country for a wedding, and I was watching some of it. It was on NBA TV, and I always love the games because the games are never the guys you want to see, and always the guys who are trying to get drafted in like the second round. Uh, but I do like the combine because there's a lot of guys around the league that you want to talk to, general managers and assistant general managers, and you know front office execs and scouts and whatnot. Um, how did it go for you? Would tell us a story. Yeah, so everybody is there, and I mean everybody. Even Phil Jackson, Dane, uh, you know, decided to oh, grace us with his presence. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so uh, everybody's there, and a lot of the media is there too. So it's just kind of like a, a – and the NBA does their best. They do the best job that they can in terms of the players. But what's happened is the agents control it because the players are not under collective bargaining agreement um, control at this point. So the agents are like, my guy isn't talking, my guy isn't coming, whatever. And so, you know, there's been all kinds of remedies offered. One of them is if you want to be in the green room on draft night, you have to go to the combine and at least talk to the media or, you know, stuff like that. Um, Nobody cares about us. (laughs) So I get that. But everybody is there. And the other thing about that gym is that there are no agents allowed inside. So it is literally just... Um, you know, coaches, scouts, GMs, and Mitch Kupchak was yep. there. Like unaffiliated guys are there. Um, the the great thing that happened to us, if you read my Sunday shoot around this past week, is John Calipari showed up and just held court for twenty minutes. He was rolling. I mean, he was unbelievable. So that made it kind of fun. But you know, and the players who do talk, it's it's always interesting to talk to those guys before they before they come up. They're so earnest about everything. Um, sure. But, you know, half the media questions are, have you worked out for the Magic? What do you think of the Bucks? How do you think you'd fit with the Nuggets? You know, it's True. like... And, I, and they're always like, yeah, I'd really like to go there. I'd really, really like to go there. I think I'd fit I, in I, great. I will say my first time at the Combine was a couple of years ago while Joel Embiid was still on the mend. He was with the Sixers, but Brett Brown decided to bring him with to Chicago. And so I spent, like, some time just sitting in the stands with Brad and Joel Embiid and Sam Hankey. And during the course of just like sitting there and watching people stretch and get measured, um, 
it was revealed that like they had brought Joel into interviews with them with these prospective players and were like, yeah, Joel, go ahead and ask some questions. So like you get little fun nuggets like right. that, the, but it's the, not. Right, that's like the best year. Like, like you said, maybe Cal holds court for twenty minutes. Right. Maybe you have a fun conversation with somebody down the line that pays dividends. But yeah, it's not like the NFL combine. It's networking on steroids. Like this is like this is what we do all day in, in Las Vegas. But this is only like you know one day or two days or whatever. But here's a fun one. So I think it was Justin Patton, who's a really he's a really nice kid from Creighton. He, he's got a bright future. And uh, so somebody asked him uh, a lot of Chicago media there, right? And so obviously, and so they asked him uh, like, "What was the most interesting question you had?" And he said, "Some team asked me uh, if I come, I'm driving, and I come to a yellow light, do I speed up or do I stop?" And we're like, "Oh, that's that's interesting. Like, and what'd you say?" And he's like, "Depends on where I'm going." I'm like, "Oh, that's, that was pretty good, Justin. Way to go!" You know, he's all happy. Right. And uh, Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune is like, "Who asked you that?" And he's like, uh, "Minnesota." Like every Chicago guy at the same time is like, "Dibs." <laughs> trying to mess with his mind already you asked that question i was actually thinking about it i'm like i don't know it depends on the circumstance like sometimes yeah and sometimes no um was there anybody there that stood out because uh a couple of years ago when i was there terry rogier was playing in those games that nobody plays in and everybody was like yo yeah. That kid looks pretty good, and like I know, I know, I know how much you love him. Was there any Terry Rozier esque uh, lights go off for you as you're watching those games? No, because I didn't really watch much of it, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like somebody right, was like, right. "Oh, did you did you know were you able to find the next Russell Westbrook?" I'm like, I, "No, I, sure I don't did. know." <laughs> sure did. I'm doing this for a living, right? But yeah, you know, there's always some interesting things you can pick up, and like, um, so I talk spent some time talking to Ivan Rob, who's a who's a power forward from Cal, kind of a throwback. If he gets a jump shot. You know, he, he could have a nice career, but he's a rebounder. And, but like this kid is like really mature and, and poised and self, self-confident self in like a really, you know, grown up kind of way for a 20 year old. And I'm like, you know what? This dude finds himself in the right situation. He'll play for eight to 10 years. And like, so you get a, you, you start to get a sense of, of these guys just a little bit. And every year there's a couple of guys like that. The Donovan Mitchell from Louisville who is like a classic Louisville – speaking of Terry Rozier, he's a classic Louisville guard. He's like 6'2 with like a 6'10 wingspan or something ridiculous like that. And like um, a lot of people like him as sort of a, maybe like a Victor Oladipo kind of kind of player. Um, it's, it just goes to show you how good this draft is because he's probably like a late lottery pick. You know, I'm excited about this draft. I'm also excited about tonight's lottery. Last awesome, thing before great. we go, uh, do you want to make a little prediction? Do you feel like it's Boston all all week this week? You get you get a game seven win and a first round pick, It'd or be first ca- overall pick. It would be kind of poetic, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, like because the Celtics yeah, never I, they never do well in the lottery. They never do well in the lot. When they tank to get Tim Duncan, they got uh, Chauncey Billups and Ron Mercer. When they tank to get Kevin Durant, they got Jeff Green that they traded for Ray Allen. So, you know, um, history shows that either they're due or they're just not destined to win it. <laughs> uh, my speaking as a sports fan, yeah. on behalf of all sports fans and not just basketball fans, and having lived in Boston. I really hope something nice happens for Boston fans. Yeah, I know. It's been so Wouldn't long. it be great if another thing happened uh, <laughs> their way? So good luck, Boston. You guys earned it. They hate us because they hate us or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, right. You know what would be great? Here's what would be great. <laughs> what? what would be great about Boston? No, no, no. The Sacramento Kings win, and then they got to do they got to do the pick swap with the Sixers. That would be Sixers. hilarious. That would actually be great. I'm, I'm rooting for that. Uh, no, seriously, good luck uh, to my friends in Boston. 
uh, despite the fact you have no you friends left in Boston. You alienated you, everyone while you're here. I'm the only one left. It's you and uh, your child I have yet to meet and your wife. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Them. Uh, but we will be back uh, next week with more Drive and Kick Pod, and we'll we'll get dispatches from Paul Flannery's Eastern Conference Finals and possibly from wherever I end up next. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we will talk to you again next week.